And so as you are grabbing your seat, go ahead and get your Bibles. I pray and hope that you brought those with you today and open them to the book of Genesis. We're going to spend the majority of our time today in Genesis chapter 48. I know Pastor Travis set it up for me last week that we'll be covering three chapters, but don't panic. We're really only going to be covering chapter 48. I'll get you caught up to speed here in just a second. So just in case you did miss last week or maybe you're brand new today and you don't know where we've been uh, in this sermon series, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis. And last week we started in uh, chapter 46 verses 1 through 7. And to this point we know that Joseph is in the land of Egypt And we know that he's been reconciled with his brothers. We know that God has used Joseph's position to provide salvation for his people, his entire family. And now word has gone back to Israel, Jacob, that Joseph is indeed alive and that we now need you to move to Egypt. And we we settled last week with Pastor Travis preaching that God shows up and tells Jacob that this is what I want you to do. So be confident in your next steps. You do need to go down uh, to Egypt and settle there, and that's where you're going to be taken care of. And so that was kind of the context of last week. And so in our story today, uh, we're going to see Jacob in his last days. The Bible tells us that Jacob had been in Egypt 17 years after his first arrival, and now we're at the end of his life. And we're going to take a look at a passage today where where he really unpacks um, this whole idea of blessing and passes it on to the next generation. But before we jump into chapter 48, I wanted to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, if you will, real fast. Hebrews chapter 11, because it really sets in context today's uh, passage of Scripture. In Hebrews 11, we know Hebrews 11 as the faith chapter in the Bible. And Hebrews chapter 11 says this, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And that's all we have on Jacob in the faith passage in Hebrews. And it struck me as interesting this week. If you think about this for a second, we've been walking through the book of Genesis for many, many months now. And we've seen a lot of stories about Jacob. And there's a lot of stories in Scripture that we can think of in Jacob's life that would demonstrate, I believe, a great amount of faith. And of all of those options, this passage that we're going to read this morning, this passage is the one that the author of Hebrews writes down and says, now that's his greatest moment of faith. Not wrestling with God, not telling God I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, not any of the other uh, things that happen in Jacob's life. None of those things come up, but what we're going to talk about today is the moment in Jacob's life that the author of Hebrews writes down as his greatest faith moment. And so, before we even jump in, I want you to be thinking about this. As we work through this text, what is it about this chapter of Scripture and this story of of Jacob at the end of his life, what makes it his greatest faith moment? What is it about this this whole passage that stands out to the author of Hebrews as being his greatest uh, act of faith? And so, let let me pray for us this morning, then we'll jump into chapter 48. We'll work through this, and then we'll answer that question this morning. So, Father God, we thank you again just for the opportunity that we have here today. God, to open up your word, to be in here together. God, I pray that this morning would be a time of encouragement. 
God, as, as Roy prayed, I know that there's people that are joining us today, God, that, that a lot of things are going on, God. And so I pray that you would encourage them, that you would meet with us here today. God, I pray that you would challenge us with your word, God. If there's something that you want us to do or stop doing, God, I pray that you would make it very clear to us. And God, I just ask that you would, that you would speak to us and give us boldness to do whatever you ask at the conclusion of this service. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, remember, as I said, greatest faith moment for Jacob. So we're going to jump in and unpack this text today and, and see uh, why that is. So Genesis chapter 48, let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Now remember, Israel has now made it to Egypt. The Bible tells us that he's been in Egypt for 17 years, but it doesn't give us any information about those 17 years. So it's as if you're watching a movie. Any of you ever been watching a movie before and it kind of like fades to black and then, and then fades back into a new scene and then those words pop up like X amount of years later? You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever watched a scene like that? That's kind of what's happening transitioning from chapter 47 to 48 is he's lived in Egypt for 17 years. Years, but we don't have any information about those 17 years. So it's as if a thing comes on the screen and says 17 years later. So now we're at the end of Jacob's life. We know that when he makes it to Egypt, he's 130 years old. That's a pretty long life, right? He's walked with the Lord for a very, very long time. And now we're adding 17 years on that. So we know that Jacob, in this moment, is 147 years old. That's incredible to think about. That's like two of our lifetimes, walking side by side with God Almighty. And the text here in verses 1 and 2 is setting up that says that he become, he's become ill, so he knows that he's about to die. And so now it's time to put... His affairs in order. So he's summoning the family to bring them in so that he might bless them. It's his, it's, it's his deathbed uh, moment with his family. It's his last words. These are uh, incredible things that he's going to share with them. And they're very important things as Joseph and his boys are going to find out here. And Jacob, the picture here is Jacob being so weak and so feeble that the Bible tells us that in order just to sit up in bed and, and have a conversation with them, it says that he has to summon all of his strength to sit up in bed. Verse 3, it says, And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, that's El Shaddai there. It's used several times in the book of Genesis, and every time it's in reference of God Almighty or God being all-powerful. It's the same name given to Abraham when, when God showed up to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation, but I'm going I'm to make it come from you. In his old age, he was going to have a, a child. The same reference is made to Jacob when God appears to him at Bethel. And so Jacob is, is telling Joseph, basically he's, he's retelling Joseph the story of God showing up to him face to face. He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Okay, so real quick, pop quiz. I did this at my house, and the only person in my house that could answer this was my son Cameron. I was very proud of him, but pop quiz for you. What, what's another name for Luz? Who knows? This is like Bible trivia time. Everybody got super quiet. No, for real, like if you know, who knows? All right, I got to go back to my own son. Cameron, what's another name for Luz? Bethel. 
All right, so it's the other name for Bethel. Jacob renames it Bethel, but he's telling his son Joseph this story that God Almighty appeared to me at Bethel in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Verse 4, and he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and I will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So Jacob is just reiterating to Joseph the fact that God... God had passed on the covenant blessing to him. We know that God shows up and blesses Abraham. Abraham passes it on to Isaac, and then Isaac passes it on to Jacob. But Jacob's saying, not only did Isaac pass it on to me, but God himself appeared to me at Bethel, and he made me these promises. So Jacob is establishing his credibility to be able to talk about these things and to pass them on to the next generation. So that's what he's getting ready to do with Joseph and his two sons. So look in verse 5. It says, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padam, I, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. Then there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Okay, so let's stop here for just a second and unpack these three verses. So Jacob's already established the fact that God gave him the covenant and now it's his opportunity to pass it on to the boys. But he does something very, very unique here in, in this story. The, the natural passing on of blessing would have been to his firstborn son, right? But here we have Joseph. So it's very interesting in the text that what God has chosen to do through the act of Jacob here is to pass on the firstborn blessing through his son Joseph. And because he's passing it on to Joseph, we know that he gets a double portion blessing. So what Jacob is saying here is I'm going to uh, establish you as the one who the blessing is going to go forward with from this point, right? And because you're going to get a double portion, I'm going to bless both of your boys. And so in order to do this, in order to bring them in and make them brothers, just like Reuben and Simeon in their inheritance, he has to adopt them. So Jacob is literally going to adopt Joseph's sons here in this moment. So he says, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they are now mine. And so Jacob's going to take them into his family. And that's why we know later on in scripture there are implications with the tribes of Israel here. Because Levi steps out uh, for the priestly line and some things that happen with the other brothers. Ephraim and Nasa are brought in to, to make 12 tribes of Israel. So that's what's happening here. Jacob is just establishing with Joseph, here's what's going to happen. You are going to be the one that the blessing goes through. And the reason why he references Rachel here in verse 7 is simply because he is the firstborn of his favorite wife, Rachel. So he's saying, listen, because, and we'll find out next, because Reuben has done some stuff, he's disqualified himself. And then comes Simeon. And Simeon, we know that Simeon's disqualified himself because he and your brother Levi, they went and raided Shechem. So, so I'm not going that, that route. So what he does is he switches from Leah's firstborn to Rachel's firstborn to pass on this blessing to Joseph. So that's kind of what's going on here in the text. Look at verse 8. It says, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? 
And Joseph said to his fathers, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought him near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. So it's a very interesting uh, series of events that are going on here. Uh, Jacob's already stepped outside of normal practices, right? So instead of giving Reuben uh, the double portion, he's given it to Joseph and ultimately to Joseph's sons. And he's got to adopt his boys. And so what we see here in these verses, 8 through 12, uh, it might not jump right out to you at first, but what we're seeing here is a formal adoption process, right? Uh, what would happen was they would bring the boys to whoever was adopted and they would literally sit on their knees. So the picture here is of Joseph's two boys coming before Jacob in this formal adoption process, sitting on his knees. And the Bible tells us that he embraces them and kisses them. And in his response to them, as they're there with him, he looks at Joseph and he makes the statement, I thought that I would never see you again, but God has been so good that not only have I seen you again, but now I'm here with your boys to be able to pass on this covenant blessing to them. Look at verse 13. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Again, Jacob breaking the pattern of custom here. So the reason why this is included here in the text and the reason why it's so detailed is, is Joseph is bringing before his fathers his two boys to receive their blessing. And he knows, the Bible tells us, that Jacob is so old that he can't see. He can barely see. So what he's doing is he's strategically placing the two boys where he expects them to be. You see, when the blessing is passed on, the, the eldest is with the right hand and the, the youngest is with the left hand and so what he's doing is he's situating his sons so that when they come before Jacob and they bow down before him and Jacob places his hands on their head to bless them that they're arranged in the right order does that make sense so he's he wants he wants Manasseh who's the oldest to receive the greater portion Right, And so he wants him with the right hand of Israel and Ephraim with the left. But the Bible tells us that when they sit before him and do that, that Jacob does something very, uh, very unique. The Bible says that he crosses his arms. And so now he's got his right hand passing a more covenant blessing to the younger son and his left hand on the older son's head. And he begins to bless them in verse 15. This is what Jacob says. He says, and he blessed Joseph. Remember, he's blessing Joseph through his two sons with the double portion. He blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd 
all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil blessed the boys and in them let my name be carried on. In the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. I love the language here that Jacob chooses to use as he's blessing these boys. He reminds them of who God has been to him. Remember, 147 years old. This man has walked with the Lord for a long, long time. And the descriptions that he gives them are very important for us understanding this. That he's not only passing on a blessing to them, but he's passing on to them a legacy of faith. He wants these boys to hear this. Remember, he's not been around them their entire lives. They've grown up in Egypt. Even Joseph has been apart from him for many, many years. And so Jacob is taking this opportunity to not only establish the blessing in this family, but to also remind this family of who God is and what he's done, not just for them in general, but who he is and what he's done for them personally. And so I love verse 15 when he says, The God who's been my shepherd all my life long until this day. He is passing on to these young men a legacy of faith. So he's blessing them and passing on the covenant blessing of God, but he's also reminding them of who God is and that they can trust him. Look at verse 17. When Joseph saw that his fathers had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a great people and shall also be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. It's in this moment where we begin to see that that Jacob is also in a moment of prophetic uh, announcement here as well. So Joseph looks and thinks, man, the guy just can't see and he's messed this whole thing up, right? So it says he's not okay with it. So he goes and he's like, dad, dad, not this way. Like you've, you've messed this up. You need to move your hands back because if we proceed any further, then, then, then you've really blessed the younger one and, and we can't have that happen, which is very interesting uh, seeing that Joseph is the 11th born Son and had no problem with dad giving him uh, the double portion uh, blessing and inheritance from the family. He stayed pretty quiet on that, right? But, but now that he sees that he's got his arms crossed, the Bible tells us that he tries to switch them back. But, but Jacob explains to him through the work of the Holy Spirit and God revealing to him in prophetic nature here that, in fact, Ephraim will be greater than Manasseh, the younger will be greater than the older. And we know that to be true later on in Scripture. We know that the southern kingdom is made up of of the tribe of Judah. We know that the the largest tribe in the northern kingdom will be Ephraim. So, So Jacob is making prophetic announcement here during this blessing of these boys. In verse 20. It says, so he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am about to die. 
But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now, we started out this whole passage in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith passage. And remember, Hebrews chapter 11 looks to this as Jacob's greatest faith moment of all the things that Jacob has walked through and all the things that Jacob has done, the Bible points to this passage of scripture as being his faith moment. So to answer our question, why is this such an incredible faith moment? We have to answer it by saying it's an incredible faith moment for Jacob because he is passing on to them possessions and inheritance that he does not yet have. That's how confident in faith and hope Jacob is in God Almighty, in El Shaddai. Remember, Jacob's walked with God a long, long time, and he is so confident in who God is and what God says he's going to do that he's able to pass on to them an inheritance that he doesn't even have himself. That's how confident he is in this moment. And in so doing... He is also establishing an example for them in faith, a confident faith and hope that I want us to take an even deeper look at this morning. So remember, for Jacob's faith moment, it's such a faith moment because he's passing on to them something that he has not even obtained himself. All he has is a promise that God gave him a long, long time ago. But he's so confident that God's going to see that through that he can pass it on to him like he actually already has it. It's taking some future tense promise and living today like it's a present reality. Does that make sense? He's taking a future tense promise that God has given him and he's passing it on like it's a present reality to the next generations and really setting for them an example of what true, confident faith and hope in God Almighty looks like. And that's going to be the most important thing here. Because remember in the context, Pastor Travis did an excellent job last week of doing this. Jacob knows what's coming next. And he's passing on to his boys a blessing. But he's also reminding them that you're going to need some confident faith. And you're going to need to put all your hope and your trust in God Almighty. Because there's some days coming There's some days coming that you just need to prepare yourself for. Remember all the way back in Genesis 15. When God appears to Abraham, he he lets a cat out of a bag. And he tells him that when you go to Egypt, you will be enslaved there for how long? Over 400 years. And Jacob here on his deathbed is taking the covenant promise of God in future tense, and passing it on like a present reality, knowing that you guys are going to need to trust in God with everything you have because you're going to need to pass it on to the next generation and the next one after that and the next one after that because you're going to be here in Egypt for a long, long time. You're going to face some difficulties and you're going to face some challenges and there's going to be some dark days ahead, but I promise you this, you can trust in God Almighty. You can trust that if God said he's going to do it, then it's already done. And that's the confident hope that he's passing on. That's the confident faith that Jacob has. It's why Hebrews says that this is your faith moment, Jacob. 
Not when you wrestle with God, but this moment right here. It's your greatest act of faith. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 1 tells us that. It's the assurance of hope and the conviction of the unseen, right? It's this whole idea of a future promise living in present tense, right? And so that's what we see him passing on to these boys and reminding them that you need to put all your faith and all your trust in God. What an unbelievable faith example that we have here from Jacob in this moment. And there's a couple things in this passage that Jacob references that I want us to pull out here for a second because I think they're very applicable to all of us in this room today. There are three things. There are three things that have given Jacob the confident faith and the assurance of hope that he has today over a lifetime of walking with the Lord. There are three things, and he mentions them here in this text, and he passes them on to the next generation and his grandsons and Joseph here. So look at these three things. The first thing that I want us to take a look at this morning that gave Jacob such a confident faith and hope is, number one, God's presence. God's presence If you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you know this to be true. That you know that God is with you, right? Do you you understand what I'm saying? Like 147 years old. Remember in Genesis chapter 28, God showed up and told Jacob, this is what I'm calling you to. And what does he say in Genesis chapter 28? I am with you and I will keep you. You have nothing to worry about because I'm with you. Now, he never makes the promise to Jacob that you're not going to face difficult situations. God never makes that promise. And he doesn't make that promise to you or I either. But what God does promise in his words is that he will be with us. Just like he promised Jacob in chapter 28, I am with you and will keep you. And Jacob has learned over an entire lifetime that that is true and that he can trust God. I imagine here in this moment at 147 years old, Jacob has very little anxiety left in his life. I think of older saints. I think of people who've walked with Jesus a long, long time like my grandparents. They have no panic left in them. And why? Because they know that God is with them. And we've been here before And God was with us then, and he'll be with us today, and he'll be with us tomorrow. And you learn over a lifetime of experience in walking with God that he is indeed with you, especially in your greatest moments of need. And isn't that unbelievable how it changes your perspective? Just certain presence and moments, like I said, it doesn't make the situation itself any less scary, but it's less scary because of who's with you. You know, I think about like when I was growing up as a kid, one of my least favorite things to do was to take out the trash, but I would, I would like have many panic attacks if my dad came to me and said, hey, Jeremy, can you take out the trash? And it was dark outside. You know what I'm saying? Like at my house, our trash can wasn't like up in a nice, well-lit area. Like it was like in behind our garage in the alley. Does anybody know what an alley is here? Like in Wichita, where I grew up, like there's like a little weird street with massive potholes in between the two sets of houses. That's the best way to describe an alley there. So, so it's like back there in that super scary dark place, right? And so my dad would come to me and say, hey, I want you to go take out the trash. And I was terrified. 
I did not want to go back there at all. It would give me small panic attacks. I, I used to run out there so fast that, y'all, by the time the trash can, like, this is what would happen. I would get to the trash can, and some of you may have been here before. Like, has anybody else been here before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you get these, like, little, Jay's raising his hand right here. Jay knows. Jay knows. He's had to take the trash can out. And here's what everybody does in that moment when you're afraid. You get up to the trash can and you get ready. And you've got the bag in your hand. And you fling the door open as fast as you can. And you slam the bag in there. And you run back into the house as fast as you can, right? And there were times where I'd be on the back porch by the time the lid of the trash can fell back down. I was not spending any time out there, okay? It terrified me. I hated it. But it's amazing how situations change because of added presence. Because here's the truth. If my dad would have gone out on the back porch and even stood there and watched me, how much more confident am I on the way to the trash can? Well, my confidence soars. And even beyond that, what if, what if he actually goes with me all the way back there? Now we're casually in conversation on the way back to the house. And what about the situation changed? Nothing changed about the darkness of the alley. Nothing changed about the location of the trash can. Nothing changed really about the story much at all except for the presence of my dad. And his presence completely and radically transform my perspective of that situation. The same thing is true when we understand that God really is with us. And I don't mean in just some kind of, you know, thing that we say to like kind of encourage ourselves, but I mean like we really know. And I mean those of us in the room that have walked with Christ, you've been through situations and you've got experiences that remind you that it's not just something we say, but it's real. And that God really is with you. You can look back on moments in your life and go, I know it was real because of that time right there. And I know it was real because of this time here. And you just get to a place where you're so confident that God is with you that you have no panic left in you. Anything and everything could be thrown at you and and you you just don't respond the same way anymore. It's what I see here in Jacob's life. He's trying to tell these guys in verse 15. The God who's been my shepherd all my life long until this day. Listen, I've walked with God. I know that he's real. I've seen him face to face. He's been with me in every every single situation I've ever been in. When Laban tried to trick me, God was there. When, when I didn't want to face my brother Esau, God was there. When I was at my lowest moments I've ever been in, God met me there at Bethel. And he encouraged me and he lifted me up. And we see here that, that God's presence gave Jacob a confident faith and hope. And we ourselves need to remember this too. Just like Jacob's trying to get these boys ready for 400 years of slavery. Like this is going to get worse before it gets better. Does that sound familiar to you as Christians walking around in a, in, a, in a dead and dying world today? Full of sin and full of darkness. The Bible's trying to tell us this is going to get worse before it gets better. 
There is no magic way to fix this. The Bible's very clear. We can elect anybody that we want to elect, and it's not going to change the sin and brokenness of this world. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but we can be confident and have hope because we know that God is with us. And that's important for us to remember because times are coming that's going to bring you to the end of yourself. You might be in it right now. You might be coming out of a season of life that feels like that. You may be heading into it and you don't even know it yet, but time A time is coming when you're going to be brought to the end of yourself and you're going to face something that's big and scary. And you're going to have to remind yourself that you can have confident hope that God is with you. It could be any number of things. It could be troubles at home. You could be facing something very difficult as an entire family. Maybe a job loss. I know several people that we've had conversations with in the last couple months that have walked into work one morning with a job and financial stability and walked out later that day with a lot of questions and a lot of anxiety and probably a lot of fear. But they were able to face those moments because they knew that God was with them. We've been here before. God was with us then. He'll be with us again today. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis. You know, we've got several people in our church right now dealing with very, very difficult things. Things that have certainly brought them to the end of themselves. It's, it's a rare place to be in and, 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 a, and a really unique place to be to have that much confident hope in God when he's all you've got. When there's nothing you can do to change your situation. You've got to trust that God's going to be with you every step of the way. And it doesn't mean that he's going to make all your problems go away and everything easy. But he does give us his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I want to challenge you with Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. It says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's presence builds in this a confident kind of faith. We have to remember that because days are coming when he may be all we have. And we've got to encourage ourselves with that information. Before we move on here, I do want to make a note though too of a time coming for dark days ahead for those of us. One of these days it's not going to be job loss and It's not going to be just a medical diagnosis and it's not going to be these things. It's going to simply be because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That the world is no longer okay with you. And we are quickly coming to that time. And in that day, we're going to have to remind ourselves more than ever that God is with us. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble for us. And like like Isaiah 41, we have nothing to fear because he is with us. Hebrews 13.6 also says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Like I said, God's presence gives us confident faith and hope in him. The second thing we see in this text, as Jacob references multiple times throughout his lifetime and here to these boys, the second thing we see is God's provision. So God provides his presence that builds up our confident faith, but he also 
gives his provision. I think back through the entire story of Jacob. Again, I can't get past this idea that this is a man who's walked with the Lord 147 years. Man, more than anything, as I read this as I read this Bible and I've studied this this week, like I just, I wish that I could sit down with him, you know, and just talk to him about like, what, what is it like to walk with the Lord that long? I'm 36 years old. I don't know anything about anything. And here this man has walked with God 147 years, and just like God's presence gave him a confident hope, so did his provision. And the same thing rang true for Jacob. As he looked back over his entire life, he knows that God is not only with me, but God is going to provide for me everything I need when I need it. Think about the context of this passage. They are literally still in the middle of a famine. They've walked through difficult days. Jacob knows what it's like to have plenty, but Jacob also knows what it's like to have nothing. And he's reminded over the course of his life of these moments where he can look back on and go right there. That's when God showed up and he provided in a way that I didn't even see coming. Remember we referenced Laban. So he goes on doing what he thinks he's supposed to do to find a spouse so he goes to Uncle Laban and he's tricked and it, think, it seems like everything's kind of stacking up against him and everything's going wrong. And what does God begin to do in that moment? God begins to provide for him in a way that Jacob probably honestly didn't even see coming. He strikes a deal with his uncle. I'll keep all the, the livestock that, that looks spotted and blemished, the ones that are messed up. I'll keep those. And what does God do? He comes in and he takes care of Jacob by providing him with what he needed when he needed it. And God will make them all spotted and blemished if that's what God wants to do. And he can provide for us in whatever way he desires. But we see this in Jacob's life. That it's, it's just, listen, this is God my shepherd all my life long to this day. He's led me, he's guided me, and he's provided for me in every situation that I've needed provision. And it builds up our confident hope and our faith. It reminded me of Matthew chapter 6, actually, verses 25 through 33. It's Jesus speaking. And it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. It's another powerful reminder to us in this moment of God's provision. And God's provision gives us confident faith 
and hope. In those moments that we can look back on and see how God moves and works, especially in those ways, my absolute favorite are the ones that we don't see coming and God just shows off a little bit. It's not always how God works, but I bet you every single person in this room could come up with a story of a time where God came through on something in a way that you didn't even think was possible. It doesn't always work the way that we go to the mailbox and there's a check there, but sometimes it works that way. Sometimes you're in line at a grocery store and somebody behind you pays for your stuff. I remember little moments like that in my own life. One time we were, we were kind of in a little bit of a, a financial mess and I just needed a little bit of encouragement. It was like, God, what are we doing here? Like, how's this going to work? And I'm pulling up at a gas station and I, I go to use the pump and it's like not accepting my payment. I'm like, this is super weird, okay? Like, I... I didn't really have any money left on it anyways. I was just kind of hoping it would work in general. Hopefully it would work faster than the bank could tell it that there was nothing there. Kind of a situation, you know. But it's like not working. So I go inside and I'm telling the guy like, hey, the pump, like pump three out there is just not working right. Like, I, I don't know. I probably broke it or something. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's not taking your payment because there's a prepaid amount on it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, did I take somebody's like spot like did they forget and leave like I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here he's like no the guy a guy came in here and said put $50 on pump three and whoever was next he just wanted to be a blessing to him and I thought in one of those moments like man I know it's just a little simple example but man I love this verse and even here in Matthew where it says in God knows God knows there's many people in this room today that need to know and be reminded that God knows where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. He even knows your financial situation. He knows. And he is ready and willing to give you whatever you need whenever you need it. But let me be very clear about this. This is no prosperity gospel thing. This isn't if you do this, then God floods your account with this. No, the way that God most often works is he gives you just exactly what you need. No more, no less. And it's a beautiful thing that he does that because it keeps us in perfect reliance and, and keeps our trust and focus on him. That's what he's talking about here. It's God's provision. We can have confident hope and faith in God that he's going to come through. And he knows what's going on with us. And he's going to take care of us. And this is a word that they're going to need for the next 400 years. And it's a word that we need today. That you can trust God. And last but certainly not least, the last thing that, that, that Jacob has here that's built such confident faith and hope in his life is God's promises. This is all he has. He has a promise that God made him a hundred and something years ago that he would possess the land of Canaan. And he doesn't physically possess it right now. But he's so confident in the promise of God that he passes it on as an inheritance like he already owns it. God's promises build in him an incredible faith and hope. And the same thing is true for us today. We can have the same confidence in God that he's going to do what he says. For us it's not it's not a, a promised land in Canaan, but it's a promised land one day with him forever in eternity. 
And it's a powerful reminder to us today. Like I said, we're going to walk through some dark days ourselves. And, and trust me, the Bible, our next sermon series is Revelation. Okay, the Bible's very clear about this. It's going to get weirder and worse before we see Jesus face to face for some of us. But that's okay because we know God's with us. We know he's going to provide for us. And we know that we have his promises that we can take to the bank like they've already happened. So I have that confidence. When God says my sin is forgiven, my sin is forgiven. And I have that same confidence when God says that I'm coming back for you, that he's coming back for us. And I have the same confidence in the fact that when God says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that he's gone and prepared a place for me. And all of these things, it's what makes following Jesus, it makes it what's worth it in the end. Right? I wasn't promised any of these things in this life, but in the life to come. So just like Jacob, that's where I stand today. I stand here in confident faith and hope in a promise that God has made to me about my future. And I can be so confident in it that I can live today like it's a present reality. So that's my challenge to us this morning. Like I said at the very beginning of all this, I don't know where everybody's at in the room, but I do know that there's a lot of people in the room that needed some encouragement today. And you just need to remember that God knows exactly what's going on in your life and that he's with you every step of the way. And I know it doesn't completely change your circumstance, but it does change it in the fact that you know that he's with you. And you know that he can provide for you. And you know that he can trust your promises. So I just want to conclude this way today. By simply just saying that all of this hinges on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those of you in the room, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, that's where this begins. Without a faith and hope in Jesus Christ, then you really have no faith and hope at all. The Bible tells us that apart from Christ that we are dead in our sin. And if we die in that sin and don't receive forgiveness from God, that we go to a very real place called hell. And we'll spend an eternity there because we are sinners. Not because God sends us there, because we sent ourselves there. But the Bible's full of the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ, that that doesn't have to be our reality. The Bible tells us if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, that we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. And that's what this whole thing is about that we are talking about today. You can't have that confident faith and assurance without a relationship with Christ. So it starts there. So that's my invitation to you this morning. If you need to come and talk to us about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, that's what I want you to do today. For some of you, maybe you just need to pray right where you're at. Maybe you're just going through a real season of hurt and a season of, of, of doubt and a, and a season of fear and anxiety and, and you just feel overwhelmed with some stuff. Remind yourselves of these truths. Remind yourselves that God is with you, that God knows exactly what's going on with you, that God can provide in your moment of need. And that you can trust him because every promise God has ever made, he's come through on. Let me pray for us this morning and then we'll respond. Father God, we thank you for today. 
God, I thank you for the example that we have here in Scripture of the faith that Jacob has. God, more, more than that, though, God, we're, we're so thankful for who you are. God, you are the one who supplied Jacob with his confident faith because you came through time and time again. So God, I pray that you would help all of us in this room to be reminded of that today. That we can have the same hope and assurance in you that Jacob did. Father, I pray that you would move and work in this time of invitation, God. I pray that you would be specific where I've been, General. God, you know every unique situation in this room. So I pray that you'd move in a powerful way. God, give us boldness to do whatever you ask us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.